Welcome to the weekly podcast of Capital Outlook from Wyoming PBS. Capital Outlook is a weekly show broadcast whenever the Wyoming legislature is in session from Cheyenne. To learn more, visit us at wyomingpbs.org. As the eight-day virtual session of the Wyoming legislature winds to a close, the heavy lifting on the state's biggest challenges remains and will be addressed by the legislature later this spring. We'll visit with Majority Floor Leader Senator Ogden Driscoll and Representative Albert Summers and Travel, Recreation, Wildlife and Cultural Resources Committee Chairs Senator Affie Ellis and Representative Jamie Flitner on Capital Outlook, which starts now. This program is supported in part by a grant from the BNSF Railway Foundation, dedicated to improving the general welfare and quality of life in communities throughout the BNSF Railway Service Area. Proud to support Wyoming PBS. This program was funded in part by a grant from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food and beverage products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. By a grant from AARP, serving the needs and providing real possibilities for the over 50 population in Wyoming. AARP Wyoming, proud to support Wyoming PBS and by Wyoming Humanities, celebrating our heritage, strengthening our democracy, and growing Wyoming's creative and cultural economy for over 50 years. Visit thinkwhy.org. And I want to welcome our viewers to really what's the first week of Capital Outlook in a somewhat disjointed session of the Wyoming Legislature. It's my pleasure to be joined by the two majority floor leaders of their respective bodies, Representative Albert Summers and Senator Ogden Driscoll. To both of you, welcome back to Capital Outlook. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. This week, of course, we've heard the announcement that March 1st, the legislature will resume with in-person, um, with an in-person session. First of all, your thoughts on how this portion of the session has, has went, and then we'll get on to the major, major bills that are upcoming here um, around the 1st of March. So, Senator Driscoll, how have things went here in this eight-day session? You know, the eight-day session's really been interesting because we, we, of course, had a special session that was virtual, but this was really the hard test on can we can we act and legislate virtually. And sessions had its ups and downs, without a doubt. Uh, our leadership team all came to the Capitol, so we're all here. Uh, but all in all, it's gone well. Well, thanks, thanks Craig. And, and we really did roll out the easiest of the easy bills. And, uh, and just for that reason, because the, the long debates are, are harder on Zoom. You know, I think the most interesting thing that I've found out, it, we've become comfortable with Zoom, right? And maybe we're more comfortable with Zoom than we would be on the floor of the house where the institution is looking down on you. And, and so I think our debate has probably gone on a little long, uh, but that's kind of the house, you know, we're, we're talkative. And there's a lot of us and we've got things to say, but I would say it's been, that's been one of the biggest challenges is just kind of 
keeping the debate focused on the bills. And we've got a lot of new new people and you don't want to stifle debate of new members. Both of you are well aware that President Biden unveiled as part of his attack on climate change. There'll be a moratorium on new oil and gas leasing. Um, coupled with that, and maybe less discussed was General Motors' announcement that by 2035, they'll be 100% electric and you won't be able to buy a gas or diesel car from General Motors, um, according to the headlines and uh, the stories that they talked about last week. In fact, we're all going to see a Will Ferrell commercial during the Super Bowl this Sunday that talks about exactly that. Have either of you really unpacked what this is now coming to mean for the state of Wyoming? Senator Driscoll, do you want to take a crack at that first? Yeah, it, it, it's really tough because it's just flat rolled out. And it's unprecedented what we've seen with the new administration to unilaterally come out and basically by edict, executive order, change states' economies and the economy of the country on a on a new policy path. And of course, it's it's a new but an old one, and we, we've come a long ways. Wyoming's got lots of it, but when you look at what's here now, the way they went about the new policy change is going to be very difficult, both financially and transitionally for the state of Wyoming. We're, we were preparing for it, but not preparing for it tomorrow. And so I think it's going to present not only budget challenge, but challenges mentally as in we in how we transition in the state of Wyoming. So uh, some of what we're going to see right away, the moratorium is going to have very soon impacts on the economy in Wyoming. Representative Summers, um, what are your thoughts? And um, does that at all change your trajectory on the need to have serious discussions on diversifying Wyoming's tax structure? You know, Craig, you, you, we do have to diversify our tax structure, but that's not this this discussion, really. To me, this discussion is my county's 80 percent federal lands and we have you know, two of the largest gas fields in the nation. And, you know, are we going to even be able to move rigs around on existing leases um, to, to do work if, if those companies want to do it? And, you know, it, I think it was unfortunate to, for the president to come into office and talk about bringing the nation together and then laying down a whole bunch of edicts on day one through five or whatever he did that really are going to have a negative effect on rural America, which is the the very place that, um, you know, that this stew pot is boiling. So I, I just think it was the wrong message at the wrong time. I think we all understand that, that uh, economies are changing. Um, and so you could change our tax structure, right? But we're, what, what is our economy in this state? It's we don't have huge manufacturing in this state. We just don't. We'd love to, but we just don't. So, you know, you can tax the people, but about what about taxing the industries? And our industries right now are well taxed, and they're revol they revolve around minerals. You're going to have um, serious discussions about um, the governor's budget that has been now well vetted by the Joint Appropriations Committee come March. Have either of you really? started to get a lot of feedback on the meaning of these cuts to your constituents? Um, Craig, no. I don't think people understand yet uh, what's going on. And really, you know, if you think about it, some of the most draconian cuts are going to come to very small populations, very 
very difficult populations that need help. But, the, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that won't even know it unless they know a family that has that. Um, but when it's all rolled out and if all of the phase three cuts go in, eventually people will see that it's, it's, um, it's difficult. And our state agencies, they're going to be working on, you know, kind of a shoestring, frankly. Senator Driscoll, what have you heard? Yeah, well, but we felt the, the very first level came last week. One bill we did bring was the uh, funding for cities, towns, and counties, which is a 15 to 20% cut, which actually is a small cut when we compare it to what we've done to the, the general fund part of the budget. And they're feeling it right now, and we're seeing some of the effects. Uh, we've watched agencies start to cut and Representative Summers is absolutely correct. They're running on a shoestring. You know, the budget's uh, roughly a billion dollars less than it was a decade ago. The general public has this assumption that we're pretty flush. And really, we've been doing these cuts, and now we're down to the cuts that come home. And they come home at a at a very personal and local level. It's If you've got parents that are using some of the health programs, DD waivers, uh, our prisons, you're, we're going to feel it across the board and it's its going to change Wyoming somewhat until we do it. And uh, It really is an interesting time because we actually, with all these cuts we've done, should nothing change, we're probably looking at another round of cuts again next year. Representative Summers, you co-chaired the School Re uh, Recalibration Committee that met last year through, uh, through almost the end of the year. <clears throat> the proposal, as I understand it, coming forward, uh, presents about $100 million in cuts to K-12 education um, using the legislative funding model. What impacts are you hearing will happen now in school districts in Wyoming relative to these potential cuts that are coming forward? And then we'll talk about how the shortfalls in education will be attacked, if you will. Sure, thank you. And, and uh, you know, so we, me and the co-chair, Senator Kinski on the Senate side, we made a request really to to districts to provide us those impacts. And we've got letter after letter from district after district on what it would take. And I, and I, and I relate this back to my own district. So I, I look at my small, big, piney school district, school district number nine, and they were, because of what's happening in oil and gas, their population's declining, less students. So their funding was dropping anyway. And then you throw on basically a 6% uh, another 6% cut on top of that. And yeah, when your population is declining, you can cut some, some personnel, but in places where they have declining populations, this could be really, really difficult. I mean, really difficult. And, uh, and, but it's a conversation we've got to have. And I, I'll, I, maybe you want me to stop there, but, but really what this bill that came out of recal was, is it had the ability to tax and it had some cuts and it is simply a vehicle to have a discussion in the legislature about what we want to do with k-12 funding and there were no taxes in the bill but it is a vehicle to allow those taxes to perhaps to be added senator driscoll you have said that you anticipate absolutely no new revenue bills will come out of the senate this year do you stand by that even in the context of the discussions that representative summers we just spoke about relative to K-12 education. I do. It's it's very difficult. Representative Summers alluded that nobody really is seeing the, the effects of the cuts yet. And, you know, the, the areas I represent, the people I'm close to have made it clear that at least on this initial end of it, 
that they want to see cuts go in place, see how they work before they start looking at revenue. And uh, I think you're going to see attitudes change somewhat as it goes. These cuts are are definitely going to come straight home and they're going to affect people. And uh, as we all know, if, if you have the services and you can't feel anything about it, you don't care. It's the status quo. But I think the status quo is gone in Wyoming and we will see some major changes. We we already are seeing uh, YDOT, for example, for cuts is already up in our area, uh, changed how they plow snow and how they sand our roads. And we've had an accident or two. Those are the type of things that you start seeing emerging on budget cuts and attitudes change when it affects you directly. Uh, all of a sudden you decide what services have value to you and what are you willing to pay for them. And, you know, Wyoming, someone else has paid for those services for the last 20 years. I want to end our discussion um, in this segment with what I found to be a fascinating debate um, with House Bill 30. And it was an amendment that was brought forward, I believe, by Representative Chuck Gray that essentially asked the Public Service Commission to put a 15-year moratorium on any coal-fired power plant closures. Um, that amendment failed on a 30-30 vote in the House. In other words, it was a tie, so it did not it did not pass. Representative Summers, you participated in, the, in that debate. What is the role of the Public Service Commission? Is it to make sure we pay as little as we possibly can for our utilities, our telephone, our, our power, or is it to save jobs, essentially? It's a great question. So, you know, I think the challenge with the amendment was the way it was brought into a bill that was to to uh, help fund the PSC. And and to me, I live not in coal country, I live in gas country. So basically you're saying you can't convert a, a coal plant to a gas plant and we're gonna make that a state policy in a bill that that was designed to, to help fund the PSC. Now, now, could you do what states to the West have done and go, it's a state policy that we want to use X percent of uh, that X percent of our electricity comes from from uh, fossil fuels. We could absolutely have a counter policy. And I think that's a really good discussion, you know, um, but the Public Service Commission is there to protect the 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 both the rate payers, basically the rate payers um, of you know, from from huge uh, monopolies, but it is it it has multiple it has multiple roles. I think, but this wasn't the right amendment at the right time. But a bill in the right place would probably go. Senator Driscoll will give you the final word about that. Even though that particular discussion didn't make it over to the Senate side, what do you perceive the role as the Public Service Commission here? It's interesting. I've run the very bill that Representative Summers did. Uh, Senator Hicks and myself have run them multiple times and been attacked. And the real truth is the Public Service Commission's pretty clearly defined what it does. And Representative Summers laid it out well. The really sad part is, is we do have states on the other end of us uh, that have used it as a political tool. And, you know, it, it really politicizes what the PSC does. Uh, when you start looking at, uh, uh, in particular, some West Coast states at this point in time, they've made statements that they're not going to allow their ratepayers to help pay cleanup costs on some of these coal-fired power plants, which are massive costs. 
And when you start getting into shifts between states, then it's not just Wyoming's Public Service Commission, it's how they interact with all of the rest of the PSCs. And so you find yourself looking on how you can use your PSC to help level the playing field. And that's what you saw in the amendment is, it's a frustration to reach out that we've watched green power mandates drive up energy costs and create an unlevel playing field with some of our other industries. Well, I thank you both for your time this morning. I know that um, you have still a lot to do in the last couple of days of this eight-day session, but we'll look forward to marching forward with you come March 1st. Thanks, Craig. Senator Affy Ellison, Representative Jamie Flitner, our next Stay With Us. And as we move forward in this first week of Capital Outlook, it's our pleasure to be joined by the chairs of the Travel, Recreation, Wildlife, and Cultural Resources Committee in their respective bodies, Senator Affie Ellis and Representative Jamie Flitner. To both of you, welcome back to Capital Outlook. Morning. Morning, Craig. Thank you. There have been some um, travel recreation TRW bills that have advanced forward that I want to talk about. And let's start with state parks and then we'll make our way to gaming if we can. Um, Wyoming has 12 state parks, I think 25 historic sites. I think viewers will be surprised that last year's numbers were up. Over 5 million folks visited Wyoming state parks. They may not be aware that prices rose, fees rose in our state parks January 1st. Senator Ellis, are our state parks on a sustainable path now? Or is there more work to be done? You know, Craig, I think when it comes to state parks, there's always more work to be done. Um, last year was a, a unique year. I think more and more people were drawn to outdoor recreation. I think if you look at RV sales and just, um, you know, purchases of things like tents uh, nationwide, people are interested in exploring the outdoors. So I think that's a huge positive um, thing for Wyoming. As we all know, tourism is our second largest industry in the state. And so that will be an ongoing challenge is to ensure that we're protecting our resources, but also welcoming our visitors and finding that right balance. But I know that the House had a, a more robust discussion on this earlier this week. Yeah, they really did, Representative Flitner. They talked, um, there was great discussion on how much of these budgets should be used towards major maintenance projects, if you will, 30% now up to 60% if this bill um, that, that Senator Ellis referred to goes forward. What, what are your thoughts on e even that particular debate here on um, whether there is need to give state parks more, I guess, flexibility in how they deal with things now with revenues being pinched from the state level? Sure, Craig. Yeah, House Bill 58, which had a lot of discussion yesterday afternoon, um, just would allow the state parks more flexibility to use the funds that they actually bring in from those fees. So basically users, and it just increases that from a 30% to a 60% flexibility capacity. And I just saw it clearly as taking, as in, you know, asset preservation. It allows the fees that are generated by the people that use those facilities to go right back into those facilities to help maintain them. And I think the state over the course of um, many, many years has helped to build up these assets. And now we have to make sure that we preserve them so that, you know, that the general public, when they do come to Wyoming, they have a very pleasant and safe experience. I think the discussion was maybe also centered on, look, we're not gonna be able to build new things very often anymore, therefore we need to preserve. Is that how you perceive the debate? Yes, Craig, that's, that's how I perceive the legislation and that's absolutely um, what we tried to get across in, in the debate. So have either you, have you had feedback yet? It may be too early in the, in the um, travel year about 
how these fees are increasing. Have you had constituent feedback on, you know what, we get it, we understand that we have to pay more, or no, no, this was too much too soon? Any ideas there yet? Senator Ellis, have you heard from your constituents? And yeah. by the way, um, we're close to Glendale State Park, and I was surprised to learn that up to 20,000 people on a weekend in the summer will yeah. travel to Glendale, making it, I think, like our third largest city. That surprised yeah. me. But go ahead, Senator Ellis. You know, I haven't heard from my constituents about the increase in fees for state parks, but I think you're hitting on something that's really important is um, a lot of people in my neck of the woods come up from Colorado. And so, you know, as someone who uses our state parks, Glendo, Guernsey, and um, Kirk Gowdy, you do see an awful lot of Colorado license plates. And last year during the pandemic, we had a, a very limited opportunity to purchase our park or our, our camping spots a little bit early. And I, I did hear on the campaign trail last year that, you know, Wyomingites appreciated that um, because so often once those reservations are open, we're competing against all the residents of Colorado for those spots. So I think that going forward, you know, I certainly want to look at ways that we can provide a little bit of a, an early opportunity for Wyoming residents to secure their camping spots. But um, it, it is astounding when you start looking at the numbers and, um, you know, it's an important lifeline for some of those communities. This isn't just about revenue generation for the state and for the park. It, those campers really support areas like Glendo and those neighboring communities. So I think going forward, I know there's a lot of interest in how we um, start marketing our parks for more tourism opportunities and trying to get those campers to not just visit the parks, but also attractions in the area. So I, I know there's a lot of work underway with our Department of Tourism, our state parks, our Wyoming Game and Fish to start having more of a coordinated approach in how we talk about our resources. So I think um, going forward, I know uh, Representative Flitner and I would like to look at and better understand that coordination. And I think that was one of your interim um, goals last year was to, to begin that process and carry that forward. Representative Flitner, you actually are in the recreation industry, I believe, with some guest ranching that you have, or is that part, uh, part of your family? Actually, it's um, our, my our personal business is not associated with with uh, bringing in guests. But no, my my um, husband's family did, does that or uh, cousins. So, uh, we're, but we you know we share we're neighbors to them. So we see that we we see their guests when they come in and and they bring in a lot of international guests. And um, so I did have a lot of conversations with them, especially during the pandemic and how impactful that was, um, not only to our guest ranch business, but all of our outdoor recreation businesses. So I, while I don't live it, I, I certainly neighbor it and I'm at the base of the Bighorn. So I see what outdoor recreation is um, and, and I see what it also means to be a private landowner and a rancher to have to coexist with outdoor recreation. And turn the page to gaming, if we could. Senate file 56 easily really passed the Senate, I thought. Um, Senator Ellis, you, you were part of this discussion, and this has to do with really making permanent and then cleaning up a little bit these games of skill now that will move forward and be allowed to exist in Wyoming. Uh, gambling, in my eyes, in, men, in eyes of some, maybe not in others, but they're now going to be here apparently for a period of time. What are your thoughts on its impact? It has returned revenue, I should should say, to the state's general fund now. Um, is this a good idea going forward to have these games of skill be becoming permanent in Wyoming? Yeah, I really want to make clear that um, you know at the federal level, I've, I've worked on uh, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, and I can tell you that you might have two machines that look very similar, but if you understand the mechanics of what's happening in the machine, they can be very different. And depending on what's happening in the machine, they're either regulated under a very strict, you know, we call them class three games, casino style games, 
But if they're not, um, you know, they're they're regulated differently. And um, so when you talk about these games that we have in Wyoming, you know, to the average user, they probably look at them. They might have the look and feel of a slot machine. But and I will admit, I will admit that's me um, yep. for my layman's understanding. So I appreciate this discussion. So, but if you open up the machine, Wyoming permits games of skill. And so if you think about it, um, if you go out to uh, dinner and you see an arcade game, there's an element of skill when you play Pac-Man. And I think most people would agree with that. But the distinction here is with a Pac-Man game, you're putting in a quarter or two. With these games, there's actually an opportunity for payout. And so I think that's where people are concerned about, um, you know, the comparison between this, these games of skill and paramutual games, which are based on historic horse races. So they've got a predetermined outcome. So these machines may look like slot machines, but internally they're not. And so for a while, we had these games coming into Wyoming. We didn't have a handle on how many there were in the state. We didn't know where they were. And so um, we actually last session passed a bill that would require some very beginning stages of regulation of these games. And in that brief year that we've had looking at it, we, we know a lot more. Right now they're located in 306 establishments across Wyoming. There are 836 terminals and we've been taxing the um, net proceeds of those machines. And so it's um, about two, more than $2 million in a, in a year of operation. And those funds are distributed to your schools and into the school foundation program. And they also are going to support towns and counties. So in a time where we have limited revenue, we're very concerned about reductions in oil and gas. This is a new source of revenue for the state. But going forward, I think the bill that uh, we're working on is trying to make permanent the gaming commission and also making sure that we're um, putting more sideboards in place so that uh, the regulations are strong and very clear for operators going forward. Am I correct in my recall that 20% of the proceeds then are returned to the state of Wyoming? Is that is that the level they're working under here? Correct. They're taxed at a 20% rate. And so looking across the country, you know, that's another point that we'll discuss further. Not in my understanding of this legislation. It's Senate files, so Senate files can't raise revenue. Um, but uh, it's codifying the current rate, which is at 20%. Representative Flitner, in the past, I believe you've had concerns about gaming in Wyoming. Where do you sit on, on this particular idea of these games of skill becoming more permanent, if you will? Thanks, Craig. I, I am, and I still do, and I will continue to be con concerned about it. And I think it's unfortunate that we have to rely on gambling, gaming, whatever you want to call it, as a means of revenue for our state. But unfortunately, it's here. And while I was a, am opposed to it and was opposed to it, I don't think you can turn back the tide. And so I, I was in favor last year of uh, the regulation, and I like very much the work that was done in Senate File 56 by, and by Senator Ellis to um, just tighten those regulations. And um, I think it's absolutely necessary. Um, we have to make sure that the sunset date um, is repealed so that, uh, that those regulations can, can be put into play. To both of you, um... Best wishes in your continued work as chairman of the what's called the TRW Committee, Travel, Recreation, Wildlife, and Cultural Resources. And I appreciate your time with me this morning on Capital Outlook. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. Have a good day. I want to tell our viewers we'll be back when the Wyoming Legislature reconvenes in March and we'll extend the format of our shows back to one hour. So we'll look forward to seeing you then. Thank you so much for joining us.
This program is supported in part by a grant from the BNSF Railway Foundation, dedicated to improving the general welfare and quality of life in communities throughout the BNSF Railway Service Area. Proud to support Wyoming PBS. This program was funded in part by a grant from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food and beverage products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. By a grant from AARP, serving the needs and providing real possibilities for the over 50 population in Wyoming. AARP Wyoming, proud to support Wyoming PBS and by Wyoming Humanities, celebrating our heritage, strengthening our democracy, and growing Wyoming's creative and cultural economy for over 50 years. Visit thinkwhy.org.